sales is the most lucrative skill in the world, period. The problem is most sales advice out there today is outdated, cheesy, and can even keep you from getting the deals that can make all the difference in your career. This is the No BS Sales School, a podcast for entrepreneurs and salespeople who want to master the skill of selling without all the BS. Welcome to the OBS Sales School Podcast. I'm your host, Walker McKay. Today, I have got a, um, excited, I've got a, a great guest, Andy Paul, who's an author of a new book called Sell Without Selling Out. He's a lifelong sales guy. He's been, over a th- been on, on over a thousand podcasts. He's got great stuff. We're going to talk today about literally the topic of his book, which is how to sell without selling out, how to... Um, be human and treat other people well and get your deals done. Um, and Andy will dig much deeper into that as we go along. But hey, Andy, Paul, welcome to the show. So glad you're here Walker. with us. Walker, thank you for having me. Absolutely. Andy, tell me your, take two minutes and tell me your, um, your quick story, how you got here. <laughs> I'm so old, I, it takes more than two minutes. Um, <laughs> you know, a, a long career working in tech and startups, a uh, number of yeah, very interesting startups. I worked for a company and made the first, just show how old I am, <laughs> the first battery-powered notebook computer. Um, wow. Back in the day, yeah. What I was that company at, called? It was called Aces Gavilan. Or? Gavilan. Gavilan. Okay, yeah. I've never even heard of that before. Cool. One for the history books. Um, yeah, just prior to working at Gavilan, I was recruited into Gavilan from Apple. I worked at Apple in the early days. Um, mm-hmm. So I helped Did you Gavilan. know Steve Jobs? Uh, yeah. Did you meet him? Oh, yeah. On, on numerous occasions. He could never remember who I was. But yes, yeah. that's sort of the joke. But uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was in several meetings with Steve. And, and uh, yeah, I was, <laughs> I was pretty early in my career. I don't think I was a significant contributor. So I said not very memorable. But um, yeah. So okay. So now we get there to Gavlin. Valley, a number of startups. Yep. Uh, got into the satellite communications business. Uh, worked there. Gosh, about 15 years, a number of startups there that really start traveling the world selling large, complex systems to large enterprises across wow. six continents. Um, yeah, large. When, when did you know that you were, I mean, obviously you went into sales. So what was the kind of the hook for you to go into sales? When did you, I mean, did you see yourself as a natural sales guy? Or no, what? no, not at all. Um, still don't. And yeah, I, I think I sort of did it out of... <laughs> lack of options at one yeah, point. Sure. Just like, why not, why not look at sales? <laughs> and when I was graduating college, the, the large tech companies at that time, which at that time were IBM, Xerox, uh, mm-hmm. company I worked for, Burroughs, uh, big computer yep. companies, HP, you know, had these sort of formal recruiting training programs for salespeople that they would go and recruit hundreds and hundreds of college new yeah. grads yep. and run you through a lot of training and, and just a lot of real world experience. And mm-hmm. it was sort of sink or swim. You know, they hired 10 with the expectation that two would survive type thing. Right. Yep. And yeah, it was great, great training ground. Um, so yeah, after I'd graduated college, I really did not have a plan about what to do next. Yeah. And what did you was, study? Andy, I was just curious. what did you study? A history, history major. Me too. And, and I had spent the summer working for the university after I graduated and I was, had an offer to go to work for the university full time. And I said, I don't know. It'd be 
not really, <laughs> doesn't seem very ambitious. And so I yeah. went to the career placement center again and just saw these sales jobs and thought, all right, well, let's try it. Yeah. And yeah, I got one and I, I probably regretted it for the first several years. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> because of the prospecting, you think? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think <laughs> I was having this conversation with somebody last night is, is yeah, we have to you know, earn your stripes. In my case, we were yeah, making 30 to 40 cold calls in person per day. So we're selling. Whoa. Oh, yeah. So I was selling computer systems for I was working selling to the construction industry and selling the full suite of accounting modules, uh, you know, everything the general ledger would, tain, would have plus uh, cost accounting and so on. Job mm-hmm. cost accounting, and um, yeah, yeah, that's was, a lot. Yeah, I could see that's yeah. exhausting, right? That's a hell of a lot, but a great training ground, unbelievable. Well, it is, yeah, and it's yeah. There, like I said, there are moments there, and certainly in the first six months, I was like, "What am I doing?" Because right. yeah, this is hard as shit. Yeah, yeah, and so and for me, it was really something triggered something in me that that really has led up to. Yeah, and I think the source of my success in my career, as well as what I write about in this book, this latest book, is that I determined pretty quickly, it's like, okay, the way they want you to do it isn't going to work for me. <laughs> and I'm, I'm, Wasn't I'm your not, style. I'm not that person. And yeah. I looked around in the branch office that we worked in, and we had, you know, sat in a bullpen, open floor plan. You know, we had two desks shoved together, shared a phone with somebody. Uh, oh, God. And... Oh, I think they did that to make sure that you went out in the field because if you had your own phone, you'd probably sit there and make calls all day. But <laughs> love that. But uh, but I know there was yeah, a senior guy in the office was he wasn't doing it the way everybody else was doing it, and he was being quite successful. And so I sort of modeled myself after him and said, okay, well, there's got to be a different way to approach this. So I got to the point as I got yeah, you know, sort of embedded into, and I was really focused on selling to contractors, and I said, well. Why don't I try something different? So obviously, just like today, if you're selling a SaaS product, one of the core milestones is you want to have a demonstration. In our case, yeah, it was on a big <laughs> big mini computer that filled yeah, up a right. chunk of a room. And I said, well, why don't I just hold a seminar every week in my branch office? And so what I'll do is I'll send 15 to 20 handwritten postcards to uh, CEOs and owners of construction firms in my territory, which is the East Bay area, the San Francisco Bay area, and try to get, you know, if I could get two or three per week into the seminar, and we'd do a full set, you know, full suite demo up for them, then I'd probably build a pretty good pipeline. And so it worked. That's why wow. I started doing it. I did it religiously, excuse me. And I really focused on follow up and getting people into the building, because I knew if I could get them into the building, they would become a good prospect. Right. The ones that and, would take the time to come over there right, right would be a good fit. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I send the postcard out literally a week ahead of time and then just bang the phones or I drive by once and follow up. And it was pretty darn effective. So, did other people start copying you at that point? No. Obviously. No. No. No, because it takes work. a certain level of work to do it. It's not that it's necessarily easier, mm-hmm. uh, but it was more in line with that I thought I could do that was effective for me and my style. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it was very productive. Made President's Club and all that stuff. So wow. it sort of triggered me this idea is that, okay, early on, despite the fact we had, you know, being 
rigorously indoctrinated by the company in a way to sell is that there's not just one way to do this job. Right. And Can I stop that, for a second there? Because when yeah. you do something different, especially when you've got peers on the same team and you're doing mm-hmm. something different, you're going to get some either pushback or made fun of or, you know, ostracized a bit. Did you feel uncomfortable around the other folks when you're doing this or not really? No, no, not at all. I mean, <laughs> did they give to like, oh, shit, Andy's doing that crazy shit over there or they were just, just ignore you and go on their own way? Yeah, I think people sort of did their their own thing. Um, OK, but this works for me. And OK, good. I said I delivered. But it's it, the most important takeaway for me was, ah, OK. Yeah, I'm going to get a lot of advice about how to do things in my career. It's, it's going to be up to me to decide which one of those to follow and nice. to take and implement because at the end of the day, and again, I write about this in the book, no one cares about you as much as you. (laughs) (laughs) Right on, right on. So you can get a lot of very well-intentioned advice or well-intentioned direction from a sales manager. Yep. But in my case, you know, my sales manager had been doing sales about one year longer than I had been. (laughs) It's not like they were an expert. And this is true in general in sales, right? Your frontline manager oftentimes is somebody that's just barely more experienced than you are. Right. So in my case, I really enjoyed this person. He was was great and had things to offer to help me get better for sure. But it wasn't like, you know, a 20-year veteran. It was, yeah, he had sold for two years and they promoted him and and so mm-hmm. I sold if sales, years. if sales management is a promotion, then he was promoted. I'm not so sure <laughs> yeah. it's promotion most of the time. Right. right. Well, and so I followed sort of the same path. And, you know, when I got promoted to management after just about two years, you know, I was managing a team of 12 people of which all but a couple were substantially older than I was even, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I had one guy working for me who was in his fifties and had you know been a superstar at the, com- at the company in the past. And it was like, yeah, what do I have to offer these people? Mm-hmm. And so instead, you know, as a first-time manager, I was so focused on, yeah, where are those particular areas where I can be of value to them without trying to impose myself to say, yeah, I know what's absolutely best. Because mm-hmm. I was still learning myself. I was still learning to this day, right? Um, after 40 yeah. years doing it. So, yeah, so for me as a seller, it's like, okay, I need to carve my own path because... I'm I'm unique, just as everybody else is unique, and going to have their own their own individual sales process. That's what you need to develop. And yeah. so, yeah, I've, I had bosses coming up through the years who were frustrated with me because I just didn't hop to and do precisely what they wanted. I my approach was always, well, that's interesting. Let me think about that and see how I might use that. Right. And Some piece or part of that. It wasn't blind obedience because the trade-off was, yeah, I could go do that. And if it didn't work and I didn't hit my numbers, who gets fired? Me or you? Right. Me. Right. <laughs> so, so if I'm going to go out, I'm going to go out on my own terms. And so sellers have to demand this autonomy. They need to take this autonomy, this level of autonomy. Doesn't matter what stage of your career you're at, is and say, look, yeah, I'm going to experiment and see, you know, what what really works for me. I'll take input from all sorts of people, all my bosses, uh, yep. podcasts, uh, books, books. You know, yep. LinkedIn, because at the end of the day, yeah, somebody asked me once, you know, so what method do you use? Are you Sandler or whatever, blah, blah. And I was like, no, I'm, I'm me. 
Yep. And I'm the sum total of the experiences and the exposure I've had to other methods and techniques. And this is what we, I think everybody is. It's not just me. Mm -hmm. I think everybody is, but you have to act on it. You have to be deliberate and intentional about saying, yeah, how do I become the best version of myself as a seller? Mm -hmm. And yeah, I don't think it comes from blind obedience to one methodology or another. I think it's taking what works for you and continually pushing yourself to experiment and try new things. How does somebody manage somebody like you if you're out there just being yourself and do your own thing? Or do you just not give a shit? Well, it's not like you're disruptive. I mean, you're, you're, you're operating within a framework, yeah. right? I mean, yeah, every yeah, yeah. company has a framework. Um, you know, I, I grew up as a huge Green Bay Packer fan back when Vince Lombardi was still the coach of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and he, you know, someone said, you know, what's, what's the secret, you know, for how your teams become so well? He says, well, I give people freedom within structure. Hmm. And that's, nice. that's what you want, is you want to give people a sense of agency over the choices they make about how they conduct themselves when they're with buyers. I mean, that's when people have working, the control, control right? right mm -hmm. When people have some agency and control over that, they make better choices and they tend to be more productive. And this is not new news. This has been studied. Uh, Charles Duhigg has written about it. I mean, the Marines, U.S. Marines, for goodness sakes, operate this way, right? We want to give mm -hmm. the lowest level people a degree of control over the choices they make because they make better choices. Um, so I just sort of, yeah, said, okay, this is what I'm going to do. And I think managers, perhaps <laughs> used to be more comfortable with that. I think they maybe become a little less comfortable with it these days because yeah. with the advent of technology and the sort of the transparency and every step a seller takes, um, you know, they tend to default to managing to metrics. Yes. Sure. Metrics have a place, but you're managing people. And these people have dreams and aspirations. They got unique strengths and skills they're good at. Your job is not to make them conform to one methodology or one style of operation. It's your job as a manager to bring out the best in them. Right. To develop them, right? Not to make them robots, them. but to develop them. Right. Right. And they may be different than the person next to them, and that's fine. You can't be uncomfortable with that as a manager. If you're thinking you're a manager and your your job is to make everybody conform to a certain model, then yeah, I, in my book I draw the distinction. I said those people aren't leaders; they're just bosses. Yeah, and managers. Yeah, I get it. Just a boss. You know, be a boss. Fine, be a boss, but you're not helping your people, and you're not helping yourself. Right. So, but you do have a methodology, right? No. No, I have, I have, I, I don't believe there's a methodology, one method. I think that there are certain attributes that you need to emphasize in order to be successful on a consistent basis. And this is sort of at the heart of the book is you had to find two sort of broad ways of selling that people sell and that buyers mm -hmm. experience you as a seller. One I call selling out and one I call selling in. And selling out is sort of the stereotypical, pushy, uninformed, uh, untrustworthy, sleazy behaviors that that everybody knows, right? I and, picture that as following a script, basically, right? And well, being following a script, script, pushing. Yes, yeah, not it's not a, no thought process there. It's just a memorize the script. Here's the script. Let's go. Yeah, and it, it emanates from a position of thinking that your job as a seller is to go out and persuade someone to buy your product. Right. 
to convince, right? And that's no not your choices. job. Your right. job is not to persuade someone. Because if you think your job is to persuade someone, then what you're assuming from the minute you talk to them is you know exactly what their problem is. Hmm. And the problem has one solution, and that's your product. So it becomes right. sort of a zero-sum type game you're playing with the buyer. I believe the job of a seller instead is to go out and listen to the buyer and understand what's the most important thing for them and then help them get that. That's your job. So if you think your job is to understand what's most important to you, Walker, and then my job is to help you get that, then I undertake a whole different set of actions. Yeah. And so I call that selling in. And in my book, I talk about this four pillars to selling in. It's connection, curiosity, generosity, and understanding. Or excuse me, I mean, the wrong word, but connection, curiosity, understanding, and generosity. Um, and, you know, it's your ability to connect with somebody on a human level, to build a sense of, of a relationship, uh, to build some credibility, to build trust. Mm-hmm. And then just use your curiosity to ask great questions that lead you to a point of understanding. See, here's, here's a trouble with like sort of scripted questions and that we have in playbooks and so on is that you can ask all the questions and you can gather the information but at the end what you have is just a collection of information is do you really understand the buyer at that point yep. and the point is you oftentimes don't because you haven't really surfaced what's most important to them and i trust me in every opportunity you work on as a seller there's always something that's most important to the buyer and I think what you're talking about is, is is you have to not only establish what their problems are, but what their opinions are about their problems, right? What do they think? Oh, because yeah, that's I mean, that's the key to the understanding is 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 getting their opinions more than just data. Well, it's yes. That's how you understand that's how you get to the point of understanding what's most important to them. Is mm-hmm. it doesn't matter what you think as a seller is important. It's what's important to them. To you know, them. It's, it's, this is true throughout when you think about sales, right, it's, it's sellers don't conscious, oftentimes don't consciously think about, well, how is the buyer receiving this interaction? Right. Right. How's the buyer, what's their, what's their experience of me right now? And what was their experience of me in this email? What was their experience of me in this, this call? Um, And that's the only thing that really matters. It's not, whether you thought the call went well, what was, what was the buyer's experience of you? Because at the end of the day, the single most important factor in the buyer's mind when they make a decision is their experience of you. Hmm. So in the, when they wrote the Challenger sale, the author said 53%, I think was the number, 53% of the yeah. buyer's decision is based on the experience with the seller. The other studies have, you know, it's been 60 to 75%. Um, Daniel Kahneman, the Nobel mm-hmm. Prize winning economist, had this developed this rule he called the peak end rule. And he said that when people go through an experience <clears throat> and make a decision about it, is they rely on basically two factors primarily to make the decision. One is what was the peak event during that experience, and what was the last event in the experience. And so we think about from a sales standpoint is is how buyers experience you this what what are the peak events right 
Give an example of what a peak event might be. Well, peak event, you don't know what it's going to be. So, for instance, I had one client that was <laughs> years ago that was uh, selling a combination of hardware software product for the test industry, or well, selling it to the tech industry, but as a test piece of test equipment. Mm-hmm. And they were doing a pretty good job of generating inbound leads through their lead gen efforts. And CEO brought me in because things just weren't sort of clicking for me, didn't know why. And I said, did a study of what's their process and what they're doing. I said, well, let's try this. I said, you're getting a fair amount of inbound leads, but you're taking, I don't know, three to four days on average to follow up on a lead. And you're not even getting following up on all the leads. And wow. so we instituted a new rule, which says, look, every lead gets followed up within 30 minutes of being received. Full stop. Mm-hmm. And our inside salespeople were uh, ch- changed the composition of the team so they weren't just sellers. They actually brought people in from the engineering department to be our, our inside sellers. Whoa, 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 stop for a second. You yeah. brought in people from engineering to be your sellers? Tell me about that. That sounds like the craziest thing I've ever heard in my whole life. Yeah, why not? They knew the answers to the questions. Okay, all right. So they knew the technical questions, but I just figured engineers, I mean, as you know, we talk about like accountants, right? They don't like people. They just have to put up with them to get paid. Nah, that's, yeah. <laughs> those are horrible stereotypes. This aren't true. I, throughout my career, I've always used engineers as sellers because okay. they're natural born problem solvers. Yes. That's what buyers want. Yep. You know, if you ask a buyer, look, we're hiring salespeople and on our job description or in our posting, we say we're looking for a hunter. We're looking for an extrovert. We're looking for someone, a closer. Would those be helpful to you as a buyer to make your decision? No. No. Oh, well, how about a curious, open-minded problem solver? Yeah, that'd be great. Mm-hmm. Engineers tend to be curious, open-minded problem solvers. That is true. They also like a process, too, which is also important. Yeah, but, I mean, this idea that <laughs> there's a set of people that have people skills that others don't is just ridiculous. You're right. So, Thanks for calling me on that. You're absolutely correct. I mean, everybody knows how to make a friend. Mm-hmm. And at the heart of connecting with another human being, it's just not that you want your buyers to be your friends, but the motion is very similar. Right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So anyway, we, what we did is by transiting back to the peak experiences, we transformed the prospects experience overnight. They were suddenly getting calls back instantly, almost from people who understood their problems and their concerns and could ensure on that first call that they, <laughs> they answered every question they possibly had. I mean, it was, mm-hmm. it was, and when we surveyed the buyers, because that's the thing that, again, companies don't do is we surveyed the buyers, okay? Post, post-sale or post-meeting. Uh, we did it. We'd, we'd do it every year. Mm-hmm. We'd do a survey of all of our customers about the buying, the, the buy, their buying experience, specifically, not customer satisfaction, about their buying experience. Hmm. Love it. And because that's all that matters, right? Because, again, if, yeah. if, if the majority of the decision is based on the buyer's experience with your sellers, don't you want to understand what the customer's <laughs> experience is? Yeah, and it's absolutely. not. This is not an NPS score, which is, is slightly different. This is, this is about the buying experience. So anyway, this, that became just lead follow-up became the peak event for those customers. So you don't know which, you don't know which of your interactions you're going to have with the buyer could be a peak event. So you have the responsibility to say, I need to be intentional about being my best in every interaction I have with the buyer because I can't predict ahead of time what will be the most memorable interaction they have with us. Hmm. So you can't, 
there's no unimportant sales touch. Correct. I mean, it, could, it could be an email you send to them. It could be, you know, could be something you think is small that they they mem they remember as being critical to helping them make progress. There's an aha moment for them. You don't know. You can't predict in advance, <clears throat> so you can't take any interaction for granted. I love what you said, and it makes again you just being intentional. And I, I tell a lot of people when you get an email. Um, that is a question that somebody asks you, how much is this or how do you do that or what do you recommend here um, to pick up the phone and call that person and say, hey, I saw you had a question. Let's talk about it as opposed mm -hmm. to responding via email because you, there's usually a question behind the question. Your tone could get confused. You could answer the wrong damn question, whatever that is. So humanize it, like you said. Well, yeah. And plus you want to, as you said, there's, there's never just one question. So yeah. you want to follow up and ask great follow-up questions to the buyer. And you know, follow-up questions are really simple. I talk about this in detail in the book. Is, is, is like I say, there's no question so good it can't be ruined by a bad follow-up question. <laughs> and and so, so when somebody, when you're asking a, a buyer a question or they ask you a question, you answer it, it should trigger a follow-up question. You want to go deeper. And it's, mm -hmm. you don't have to, there are, Two, I give in the book two examples of very simple follow-up questions you can use that work in almost every situation. One is just simply, well, that's really interesting. The buyer tells you something really interesting. So what else can you tell me about that? Mm -hmm. what, and more. what else can you tell me about that? And you can mm -hmm. ask that a couple times in a row. The variation yep. of that is say, ah, that's interesting. So tell me more about that. Mm -hmm. And so you can do that a couple times. Because, again, understanding is so important. I, I believe that making the customer feel understood is perhaps the biggest source of value you can provide to them as a buyer, as a seller. 100%. Right? Making them feel understood. So, again, it requires you to go deep to really understand what's the most important thing to them. And so when you have the opportunity, you ask the questions, you ask a couple follow-up questions until you think, okay, I think I've ferreted out everything here that I'm going to get. You reflect back to them. So this is what I think I heard. Is that correct? They say yes, and then you hit them with the great question. And then you say, okay, so what are we missing? Just when you think you know it all, and you, they've confirmed that you've got it, then you ping them with, so what are what we missing? Because mm -hmm. then now they're thinking again, oh, I thought we thought about, no, we're thinking, now we're thinking even deeper about this. Mm -hmm. right? And then you really start surfacing again. So you, know, you, always, always, <laughs> you always have that question ready. Think you understand it. Challenge your understanding and their understanding. What are we missing? And the ultimate thing, I think that um, I think a lot of salespeople don't do those follow-up questions and don't try to go that deep because they don't want to hear no, <laughs> because they're afraid that they won't get to present. Right? That they jump forward again, all about them, as opposed to um, because if you hear, I don't want to hear anything, I don't want to hear it because then it might ruin my sale or it might bring something up that they didn't. Right? Well, you know, there's well, there's that, but I think the other thing though too is that. The reason they don't ask follow-up questions is they've been trained and that these are the questions we ask, right? Ah. Whether they're formally scripted or they've listened to peers ask them, they're listening to recordings of their, their peers, other sellers. These are questions. Oh, these are questions. Yeah, I've got these 10 questions I ask. And then the curiosity ends. Hmm. And what happens is then there's a gap that exists between knowing something and understanding it. Right, 100%. And so we stop with knowing yeah. too often when what we really need to do is make sure we understand it. 
And so again, talking to the book about how to how to transition from knowing something to truly understanding it, because then with that understanding, I mean, I tell a story in the book about working for a startup. We won this huge deal in Scandinavia. The revenue was almost about a third the size of our our annual revenue. It was a big deal. We should not have won it because we're you know we're a small company. We're competing. It's big, big uh, tech companies. We had no brand name, no track record. And so I asked the, the customer, so why do we win? And she said, the president of the company said, because you're the only one that we felt really understood us. Bingo. It's amazing. It has nothing and, selling. And it had nothing to do, so you know, it had nothing to do with the company per se or the product. It was we as humans made them as humans feel understood. And so their experience with us and making them feel understood is what drove the decision. <laughs> and that's really at the heart of this book is, is how are people experiencing you? You know, they're experiencing you as the salesy, you know, prototypically stereotypical salesperson that, that act in ways that make buyers instinctively cringe, mm-hmm. which unfortunately we've all done that at some point or another. Yeah, ugh, yes, ugh. <laughs> or, or, you know, you're creating a, positive experience where you're working with them to help them understand what's most important to them and then helping them achieve that. And that's, that's what they want. That's the experience they want. Can I tell you some, a couple of things that I've learned sure. uh, today, just talking to you. I love the, the process you have of connection, curiosity, understanding, and generosity. I think that's great in that it's all focused on the other person, right? It's all focused on how do I, how do I get um, build better rapport, build better relationship, uh, build trust with, and a better experience with you. And I think that mm-hmm. is so important. And so many things that that people do not focus on is what is the actual buyer experience? More than the buyer journey, what's the buyer experience with you yourself in this moment? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that is absolutely gold to know. Um, Andy, tell people how they can find you, talk to you. Um, you made an offer to uh, give away a chapter of your book. How about let people know about that? Sure. So, well, thank you. Um, yeah, if you come to my website, andypaul.com, is, um, we have some bonuses there for people that pre-order the book. So if you pre-order the book, and at, you can just you can do it on Amazon or wherever you order books. Uh, come back to my website. We've got some bonuses you can claim. And what those are going to be is we're going to have some special events for people to do a pre-order of the book around the launch awesome. and uh, some other materials for them. They'll be exclusive for people that pre-order. Um, and yeah, connect with me on, on LinkedIn. Uh, yeah. Just search Andy Paul. You'll find me. I'm there quite a bit. And Andy is Andy's prolific on, on social media and on LinkedIn, especially. He's there a lot. And he's, as you can tell from this, he's a kind, smart man. I recommend you connect. Well, thank you. And um, yeah, I've got my own podcast, uh, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul, which mm-hmm. yeah, we just, just released our thousandth episode. Uh, That's awesome. Yeah, a week or so ago. And yeah, so yeah, connect with me. You know, DM me on LinkedIn if you have some question you're interested in, uh, yeah, do go to the andypaul.com and download the free chapter. Uh, I urge people to do that too. Outstanding. No BS sales team. I hope you've enjoyed this conversation with Andy Paul and I hope you will pre-register for his book, sell without selling out. Um, and, um, if you have not yet subscribed to my podcast, share it with somebody else who needs to hear the message. 
Give me five stars if you like it. It makes a huge difference uh, in the audience that we can find and how we can share this information with other people. Andy Paul, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you, I appreciate you very much. You're a great guest, and I've enjoyed getting to know you. Thank you very much.